0: Your host, Brian Holland, here with plugs for this week, episode 77. Gosh, we started from the bottom and now we truly are here. When we started the winning agenda, we had a vision and thanks to so many of our Patreon supporters, that vision is seeing more and more light every single day. At the $2 a month pledge, you get access to the Patreon supporters' facebook group there's so much fun and exciting conversation happening there so even if you have only a few ruples to spare and you'd like to get in there for two dollars a month 50 cents an episode you still get to come and party with us in the winning agendas patreon supporters facebook group and if you are already a supporter and you're not in the group please search it up and request membership. Just a reminder that if you're in Australia and you want to be a part of the San Sand Circuit, the division of the ANRPC, that The Winning Agenda is very proud to bring to Australia, hit up your favourite local game store, ask them if they're planning on running a qualifier, and if they are not, tell them to shoot us an email at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. Please enjoy tonight's episode of The Winning Agenda. Hello. And welcome to episode 77 of The Winning Agenda. Tonight we have something a bit special, a little bit different. Wilfie Horrig and Hollis Echo in conversation with one of my favorite Netrunner players, Abram Jopp. If you don't remember Abram from our previous episodes, he is a stellar Netrunner player. He is the author of the blog Run the Net. .wordpress.com. Everyone here at The Winning Agenda highly recommends you check it out if you're at all enthusiastic about improving your game. And for the first part of this, what will be a two-part episode, is mainly going to be focused on the Dumble Fork deck, which Abram actually designed. So I'm sure almost everybody who is listening to this has encountered the Dumble Fork deck, and this is some truly interesting insight. So without further ado, I pass it on to Wilfie Horrig.
1: So I think we're just going to get into it tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about Dumblefork, which you may have heard of as the wizard cutlery deck that has been kind of tearing up the scene for the last two months. It kind of came out of basically nowhere, although that's a little debatable in the wake of the most wanted list and it's kind of developed into what many people think is the best or one of the best runner decks today Built off the strength of the Anarch Engine. So we have its creator, Abram Job, here to talk about it. Uh, so, Abram, I guess we will start with what kind of inspired you? What was the genesis of this deck's creation back before it became the scourge of the tournament scene?
2: The genesis of this deck was actually the Edward Kim deck that's on my website, uh, Run the Net dot wordpress.com. This was in December. I was just looking through my binder trying to find a solution to the pre-most wanted list food coats terror. And I was like, oh, knifed and forked. These are pretty good against bioroids. Maybe I should make a deck with some of these. And so I built some decks with them and realized that when I was like tunnel visioning my whole deck around blowing up ice, I was getting killed a lot. And those cutlery cards take up a lot of deck slots, and so I couldn't, like, fit in things to not die. And, like, using them with Faust, it was too awkward to, like, end my turn with enough cards, that sort of thing. If you had to, like, kill a Data Raven or something. So that's why I put the deck in Edward Kim, because I was like, well, then I'll just never, ever die because of my ID ability. And then it'll be fine. Uh, and I played with the deck a lot. It had Desperados in it back then, and It was really good. Um, And I just eventually got better enough at playing it that I didn't need the, like, Edward Kim crutch anymore and switched it into Wizard so that I could crush Food Coats even harder. Uh, And then when Most Wanted List came around, I'd been playing this deck, like, for months and months, telling everyone it was incredible, beating everyone locally with it. And then Most Wanted List came out, and I was like, well, all I have to do is take out Desperado, and the deck is still legal. So I did that and put in Turntable, and then crushed really hard, because all the Corp decks were way weaker and didn't have... NEH didn't have Architects in it anymore. The inspiration was just, these cutlery events are really good against, like, Bioroid-heavy strategies. And then, ice that isn't Bioroids folds really hard to fast, And so, you just kind of beat every possible ice spread with that combination of cards.
1: Right. So I guess you would say it's the way it developed is you thinking here's what's good on the corpse side at the moment. This is a underplayed strategy that I think can be good against this particular very strong corp strategy and we'll try and fit some support cards around it so that's not it, so that it's good in other matchups rather than just being focused to beat food coats.
2: Right. Um and then a lot of it was accidental, like The Wizard ID just gets you so many free wins against, like, such a huge group of decks. Like, you just crush so much jank just because of your ID. A lot of those decks that you beat are the sort of decks that you take, like, random losses to in Swiss in a tournament. Like some really weird horizontal deck. You just tear it up with your ID ability and don't have to worry about that at all. Um... And those can, like, somewhat be a problem for Anarch. Otherwise, because of your click economy, it's, it can be hard to keep up without the wizard ID. So I think he's, like, a big, if there's a problem, he's a big part of the problem. Uh, because one of the best ways to fight Anarch is to compress their clicks. And wizard, like, makes it so one of the better ways to do that is a losing battle.
3: Right, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah, Abram, I have a question for you. Yeah. A uh, comment and a question. First off, I wanted to actually uh, very much applaud you. The deck list and your, your, I mean, your initial iteration of this is incredibly powerful. And it's a very, in, in my opinion, it's a very fun and um, really well-crafted deck. I, so, I mean, major props to you for building something like this. This is awesome. Um, my question to you is, you know, I'm looking at your original deck list where it was Edward Cam and you were using Desperados. Before, in previous iterations, can you give me some ideas of maybe cards that you played around with that... Uh, almost made the cut, maybe, uh, but ended up uh, being cut, or just weren't powerful enough?
2: Um, Yeah, the very first draft of the deck I ever made had three same old things in it, because I was going, like, really all in on this plan, which was totally excessive, and I was discarding them all the time. Uh, so I got rid of that. Uh, I think... Gosh, oh, I had three clone ships originally. So it was just the numbers were different, I think. There were, like, dirty laundries for a while. There weren't imps. And that was actually part of the rev- the Wizard revelation was I put imps in the Kim deck to deal with Sansans Sans and stuff, and just every matchup got so much better, and I was like, maybe if imp is so good, I should just be playing wizard.
1: <laughs> Makes sense, yeah. Wizard and imp kind of gives you the same thing that Edward Kim and imp does, but yeah, a lot more yeah. powerful. Oh,
2: one thing that I wanted to uh, get after with part of the, like, theoretical background of the deck is you'll notice that the deck doesn't have, like, a permanent economy solution at all. You just have Liberated Accounts, Daily Cast, Sure Gamble, Career Fair, and the original deck had Desperado, but you don't have that anymore. Part of this comes out of my, like, I guess, philosophy of running. I've often told people, if you ever pay four credits to break an Eli, you've lost the game. <laughs> Which is obviously an exaggeration, but it's kind of how I feel, like, or at least if I ever pay four credits to break an Eli, or pay the hard way through a toll booth, I kind of deserve to lose, because my deck should have a better answer for those situations. I just thought, what if I build a deck that only breaks ice once? <laughs> then I don't need a permanent economy solution, like, because they don't have a permanent ice solution if my deck just trades one for one against all of their ice then they have to draw agendas so i'm going to come out way ahead and so that Very was nice. that was kind of the idea so you don't have katie jones or any card like any cards like that and just minimal econ and that's also part of why i started with kim because i was like if i'm going to play this low econ strategy maybe i need to be harder to kill, but then that just ended up being less of a concern, because people only kill you with 24-7 anyway. Makes sense. But one of the ways that the Corp can abuse your inability to make a huge amount of money is by incurring trash, really important trash costs on you over and over again. Like, make you trash a Sansan, make you trash another Sansan, score breaking news with a team sponsorship, make you trash another Sansan, and Wizard just makes all of that not work. Uh, The other thing the Corp can do is, if you're making these parody plays where they resin ice, they cost them a bunch of money, and then you spend a bunch of resources destroying that ice, and then they just put more ice down, you're slowly getting ahead, unless they have a stream of clickless money coming in, in which case eventually you won't have the answer and you'll lose. And so, again, Wizard kind of takes away one of the Corp's outs to this way that you want to play, because he just removes all of those cards from the board. And so now the Corp, like, you're attacking them on how much ice they have and on how much money they have at the same time, and the chances they draw the exact combination of things they need to keep defending themselves is really low. And then what's disgusting about the whole Faust thing is once they've finally gotten ice to stick, then you can just start discarding cards. (laughs) Like, it's only then that you begin to start paying for things. So they have to fight this, like, really difficult battle just to have some defense at all and then your breaker just pays through it super efficiently anyway. So I'll come back to this um, kind of abstract theory of the deck that it's designed to only break a piece of ice once um, when we talk about how to beat it, because basically how you do that is by forcing it to break its rule. Force it to break ice more than once.
1: Right, that does make sense. Uh, One thing that we have identified, and we talked about it on the last episode, was that... Wildside chronotype really powers these kind of decks, and not necessarily this deck specifically, but any deck which is trying to use Faust, David to break ice, and other tools to not have to necessarily interact with ice multiple times, such as uh, destroying ice, making it so that your opponent can't res their ice, or bypassing ice entirely by milling them until you score 7 points. Uh, or mostly milling them, milling them, un- forcing them to protect multiple servers by milling them, or however you want to put it. And so, would you say that the reason that this deck is at its best now, because of the most wanted list, is because it's the most efficient use of this anarch engine? Because cutlery is so powerful with it, or would you maybe give it a different sort of um, rationale?
2: Anarch does best is, like I said before, making plays that rewind the game state, right? Um, Where you use your clicks to undo the corporation's clicks. Um, That's what the Wizard ID does, that's what Imp does, that's what uh, Parasite does, that's what Cutlery events do. And when you're doing that, again, just like I said with things like Pad Campaign that Wizard takes care of, the player with clickless resources is the one that's going to win. This is why Noise, even before this engine worked, because as you sat there doing nothing, you had Clickless Economy from Pawnshop, and you had Clickless Access through his ideability. So as you made these plays that basically made nothing happen, actively nothing, because <laughs> the Corp is doing things, and then you're doing things that just rewind those without even advancing your own board state, um, you were slowly winning. Uh, And so I think what's really broken, it's not that you're drawing two cards a turn. It's that you're doing anything. You're getting some benefit that doesn't require clicks at all. Um, Like, pretty much anything in this game that's ever existed on the runner side that gives you benefit without costing clicks has either been really busted, desperado, or has such a stringent requirement on using it at all, data-folding, underworld-contact, that they're not really playable. And actually when those cards work, they feel really oppressive. It's just that the work the effort they take to set up like leaves you with more obvious weaknesses.
3: Just adding to that, you know, to what you're saying, we're also seeing this apparent in like decks like um the pitchfork deck that Spags has posted, mm-hmm. um as uh, and and a ton of other K variants. We're seeing those decks run cards like uh uh hunting grounds and cash and utilizing Wild's uh, Aesop's shop, um, in those Shaper builds to, mm-hmm. you know, play the cash and then just sell it off immediately for three credits. Even, they're not even getting the mill, but they know it's clickless economy. That deck it's a little bit different because
2: they're not, like, un- well, they are kind of undoing the corpse board state, I guess, because they're playing cards like David and Cyber Cipher that, since they have clickless economy, like, invalidate some of the corpse cards. So it is somewhat similar. Wildsake Chronotype is just... It's pretty disgusting. And I think that maybe this deck is the best way to use it, and that's why this deck is so good, but if people just kind of... If you just get in there and start making Anarch decks, like, just start with that engine, and, like, some career fairs, and just the obvious cards that you always play, and just make an Anarch deck with it, it's nuts. Like, uh, like Timmy Wong... Uh, has this Valencia deck that I was playing for a while that's wildside chronotype, and the deck is nonsense. It's like someone spilled their binder on the floor and took one of every interesting Anarch card and put it in a Valencia deck with nine blackmails. Yeah, yeah. I think
1: uh, <laughs> one, it's, it's, someone locally was playing something like that. Is it the one with, like, one
2: drive-by? Yeah, it has one drive-by. It has one liberated account. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. It has Keyhole, Eater, Faust, Wanton Destruction, Legwork... It's just really bizarre. But when you have the Wildside Chronotype out, you can just sit there, like, threatening blackmail, and you just slowly win. So I think that, actually, Wildside Chronotype is so broken that it's actually a little bit unexplored. Because, and that deck kind of showed this to me, because everybody who's using this engine is winning so much that they're not really trying to make, like, their own totally different deck that uses it. Um, And maybe it's actually even more disgusting than it seems right now, because maybe someone can make a deck that uses it even better than this Wizard deck does. I think just Wizard, the ID is really well placed right now. Just the silverware makes so much sense, because there's so much ice that is really annoying, like Data Raven and things that they're the best answer to.
1: I guess the point I was making is, do you think the Anarch Engine is so good that you play... A set of support cards that kind of change intermittently or do you think that this deck really is the best way to abuse the Anarch engine and I guess you answered in the way that the it's the former where the Anarch engine is really good and this just happens to be at the moment the best placed way to support that Anarch engine so how how would you say you would pilot this deck to make that true? Like what sort of because it's not ex- entirely obvious how like you would go about that plan of using the Anak engine in the way that this deck does. So what tips would you say you would give to people since it's now basically become the scourge of the metagame? It's extremely yeah. popular.
2: Like I said, the idea of the deck is and the way it's built, is it's not meant to break ice multiple times. The corporation will start winning when They do things like res an assassin. You discard four cards to it because you have to. um, And then you can't immediately kill it and then they put more ice in front of it the next turn. And now to kill the assassin you're going to have to break that ice and then you'll have to break that ice again when you destroy it. So you need to be ready against players who know what they're doing to destroy ice, destroy these problematic ice the turn they're resed so that they can't get protected by other ice. Like, you, what you don't want is a layer of problematic ice, like uh, Ichi Assassin, those are, like, kind of the big ones, with a layer of unrised ice in front of them that you're going to have to pay for to destroy the ice behind it. Um, what this means is that you need a lot of money, because a lot of the really nasty ice um, is our tracers, um, or require clicks and so what you really don't want to have to do ever is click the third subroutine on each one because usually what you want to do is run click one double click it and then do something else productive now that they've res this expensive ice you can't do that if you have to click all three because they have the economy advantage and you don't want to get a tag or something horrible happens so what a lot of people the mistake a lot of people make is they get too hasty with being aggressive um like they play a data sucker and have a parasite in their hand and they start running around like a crazy person and then they don't like get set up and you can usually win and this is kind of sad to say but just by not doing anything (laughs) aside from like trashing naked assets obviously but you just kind of sit there and make money. Like against Food Coats, aside from poking campaign servers to make them res their Turing, because you'll trash for free otherwise, you really just should pound money until you have like 20 credits. And the same thing against Blue Sun, because what you really want is you have a David out, they res an assassin, and you actually pay the traces and then kill it immediately with Forked. That's how you start winning. You don't want them to res assassin. You have to use two David counters on it. Now, Blue Sun returns it to their hand, or ETF puts, like, an an Eli in front of it. Like, that's when things start getting really bad. You need to be ready for the really nasty ice that people can res against you when they're playing a Glacier deck, which is the matchups where people, I think, make mistakes. Um, When in doubt, like, if the Corporation deck is slower, you should put less value on like your data sucker which is kind of counter to what a lot of people think they think data sucker counters are really important against decks with bigger ice and they are but getting money is more important because of the type of the types of ice people play also because of ash traces um, sometimes you need to get into a remote and if you have a comfortable enough economy that you can pay the ash trace and kill it and the campaign and the breaker big rid like, that takes a lot of money. But once you do it, if you're not broke, you're winning. So you need to have the the cushion to make plays like that. Uh, and so just when I've beaten so many people playing this deck by just having these situations where I have a wall of static, I have an unresed assassin in front, they have six cards, they play knifed, I res assassin, they discard four, and jack out... <laughs> And so now they've, they've lost, basically. Or that's like a horrible exchange. Just assume all the time, except against decks that obviously don't play these cards, um, that if there's an unresed piece of ice in front of the ice you want to destroy, assume that it's both Ichi and Assassin at the same time. And be prepared for either of those cards. Because those two cards are the ones that can really ruin you. If you aren't prepared for them and have to discard a ton of cards for no benefit. The other thing is against horizontal decks. I see a lot of people saying, oh, even Wizard can't keep up with my asset spam deck, my, like, museum NEH deck, or my IG deck. Um,
3: bullshit. I'm saying every time someone has said that, I basically call bullshit on them every time.
2: Yeah, and but a lot of Wizard players do lose to these decks, and they do things like... Um, Trashing unres pad campaigns because they might as well because it's only one credit um you want to use do you don't want to just use your three credits each turn you want to use it on the most important thing each turn and just a lot of people are so antsy just because there's three unresed remotes doesn't mean you have to go trash one of them it doesn't mean you even have to check any of them like don't play their game Right. if they're installing all of these cards against wizard, they're ready for you to go look at all of them and trash one like that's kind of what they want get in a comfortable economic position so that they can't bottleneck your ability uh, and then just use it smartly, don't be like a slave to it, if that makes sense uh, just, and kind of just pretend it doesn't exist. it's kind of like desperado Like just because you have desperado Makes it easier to check remotes, but it doesn't mean you need to check every single one just because you have it. Um, and Wizard is kind of the same way. You don't have to trash something every turn. Trash things that matter. Like, you don't. I've seen people, like, trash a pad campaign or a business show that's unresed for one credit and then click for a credit so they can, like, a few turns later so they can play their liberated account. And those kind of inefficient plays are how you fall behind um, against these, like, asset spam decks. So, if you're playing Wizard and you're losing to those decks, you're doing something <laughs> wrong. <laughs> or they're sneaking out naked Astros and you're unlucky. So yeah, you really should beat those decks. I think the, the problematic matchups are um, the really teched-out Blue Sun decks that either have uh, Elizabeth Mills or Corporate Town. Mills is probably the best one. Like Hostile Takeovers, Multiple Orions... Uh, But those decks are just so hard to use. Like, this was uh, Ben Bloom's deck that was on NetrunnerDB, and I played against him a whole bunch and lost, like, slightly more than half the time. But then when other people tried to play the deck, it was just... it was sad. (laughs) Yeah, I played some
1: games with it on jintegi.net, and I believe calling it... calling my play with it non-functional would probably be a little generous. Like, it definitely does not run with a lot of structures that we've seen from other decks before.
2: Yeah, and it's so... He really, when he built that deck, he really understood this play pattern of only res ice against this deck if you know it won't immediately die. (laughs) Um, And then Blue Sun facilitates that, because if it doesn't immediately die, then you can pick it up, and if it has mean words on it, they have to deal with the mean words again the next time you flip it. That's why Orion over Curtain Wall makes so much sense, uh, because they have to deal with it. And Orion is just nuts against (laughs) Faust. I usually, when they flip that, I usually just get my Faust trashed and then clone ship it back out later. It's not worth breaking. Like, you just lose your program. That matchup is problematic. Um, To deal with it, you have to run early in the turn. A lot of people do this thing where they, like, want to draw up and then run, because they're used to kind of the, uh, like, that's how I used to play with Faust, like, when I played it in Gabe. So you would draw up a bunch and then make a big, impactful run, like a Siphon or an HQ interface run. But you want to run early in the turn because you want to either deal with the thing they just rezzed, and you want to have time to do that, or you want time to attack somewhere else, or you want them to think that their ice is in danger. (laughs) Like, even if you don't have the David... If you run click 1, they might not res that Orion, even if it would be really good for them, because they're worried you'll play David and kill it immediately. Um, But if you run click 3, now they're not scared, because you wouldn't have time to kill their Orion. So, and this is true against food coats as well, run early in the turn. Which means you need to, like, have a plan for what you're going to use your later clicks for, because, like, Netrunner 101 says draw early in your turn. Um, which you are doing with Wildside Chronotype, but sometimes you don't have those cards in play, and sometimes uh, you need more cards in addition to those. And so it's kind of counter to a lot of people's instinct to not click one draw a card, especially when they're playing with Faust. But this deck, you want to be click one run when it's time to be aggressive. Um, okay. A lot of, like, you... your Your clicks are fear... Like, when you're playing against this deck, you're always like, okay, I can res this, and then I'll have a turn to keep it safe. But when they're only running click one, it's so unnerving. You feel like everything you flip up, there's a chance it will immediately die. So And so to beat it, you either have to guess right and flip an ice they can't kill, or just let them in for a really long time and CVS them later, I guess. <laughs> Or like have a good purge. Because unlike the Desperado version, this version isn't quite as good as forcing them to res their ice, which is kind of its weakness, aside from threatening to steal agendas. So, yeah, run, make lots of money, like money before your support cards, and before you fuel your data sucker, and run early in the turn. Those are kind of the biggest the biggest things. Aside there's also uh opening hands. A lot of people have asked me like what hands you should keep with this deck. You want hands that have I mean hands with wildside and one econ card are good, but you I'll often throw away hands if they have like pretty good cards but two colory events in them. I'll often throw them away because you those colory events are kind of like brain damage because you can't discard them. You need them to win. And so even if you have, like, a knifed in your opening hand it doesn't look like you'll use, you need to hold on to that for the entire game because that's how the deck works. You want to get to this position where you have 20 credits, seven cards, and one of each cutlery event, and you're like, whatever you do, man, you're screwed. Um, but if you're discarding those because you drew them too early, then that's bad. You can keep, like, Wildside Chronotype nothing, but like, as long as the nothing isn't things that you really can't discard, because you can get into awkward situations. Um, and actually, better—not better than hands with wild side—but actually, hands I'm more comfortable playing now that I've played the deck longer are just hands with career fair liberated. I've had worse, and then like two pretty good cards, like maybe maybe like a parasite, and something else, uh, because then you're much freer the wild side kind of like enslaves you a little bit uh but when you just have a bunch of money you you're so threatening yeah a lot of people just think i have faust i don't need money um which is not true at all money gives you gives you freedom in this game especially when people are so tracer heavy to deal with faust so this that's kind of my advice on how to play the deck don't get blown out by cvs ever (laughs) either Like, always be ready for that card. As long as you play safe, if the Corp is, like, trying to, like, stave off your attack, then you'll be fine. If the Corp starts to play aggressively, so they start to take risks and they're like, well, this could be a really bad res, but I'm just going to hope you don't have the answer, um, then you need to be, like, more aggressive. I had a game at the Store Championship where... A guy was playing Spark and just rushed super hard. and I think I clicked for credits 15 times that game, because um, I didn't have Wildside, and I got a medium down and he just had like porous ice, and I was just clicking for credits and running R&D. So you have to know like when to change the plan, when to become aggressive if they're not trying to stabilize and just trying to get out of the game you need to like switch into medium mode. That's kind of a lot of information, but hopefully there's something in there that people heard and thought, oh, that's not something I was doing. The click one run is probably the most important thing. Um, give yourself time to react to what the corp res is, is. kind of the biggest message.
0: Ooh, I get to play the part of the fun police here. I'm gonna cut it off at this point. Tune in next week for part two of Wolfie Horrig and Holoseko in conversation with the incomparable... Abram job and if it's anything you'd like to take away from this particular episode for me it really was the if you ever pay four credits to break an Eli you have lost the game that was an extrapolation but it's very very good I really like it tune in next week for episode 78 where the conversation will continue in the meantime if you want to get in contact with us you can do so at thewinningagenda gmail.com you can hit us up on twitter at winning agenda and you can check us out on facebook our like page is the winning agenda thank you so much for listening guys we love you all see you soon